Welcome, everyone, to another installment of the BC Counselor's Legal Brief, the legal podcast that provides easy-to-understand information about estate and business planning to help you, your family, and your business. And now, the jovial gents of jurisprudence, Mike Betts and Spencer Chaffin. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the BC Counselor's Legal Brief. I am joined here by my esteemed colleague, Mr. Michael Betts. Hello, Spencer. How are you? I'm doing great. And yourself? Doing great. We're also joined here by Mr. Alex. Oh, he pulled up here. He didn't say hi. He just waved. Hey! (laughs) But we always have the privilege of having Mr. Pierre here with us. Say hi, Pierre. Hello. <laughs> Spencer, what we have to do is we have to get a video in here so people can see what the room looks like, but not just because Pierre refuses to say something, but for all of the viewers out there, I just have to tell you, Pierre, like I am not at a podcast. I'm at the gun show. Right. Like his triceps. I was telling Pierre this off air and he completely ignored me. So I made an executive airtime decision. It's our money. It's our time. We say what we want. And his triceps are incredible. Would you agree, Spencer? You know, I used to be very secure in my masculinity, but when I saw how small and dainty my triceps are compared to his, I'm a boy among men. We'll put it that way. My goodness. Yeah. I wore a t-shirt that shows off my arms. Like, Pierre knows what I'm talking about. You know, you wear like the short sleeve shirts that are a little too short on the sleeves. You know what I mean? I know what I'm doing. Pierre knows what he's doing. And damn it, if those triceps are not just bam, right in your face, like it's like Spencer, I'm distracted. But we had a topic today. We did. But, you know, here's the cool part about this podcast, Mike. Yeah. This is our first one after announcing that we are DFWs favorites for both estate planning and business planning law firms. How did you manage that, Spencer? So I created an algorithm. Oh, that's it. To go vote. (laughs) The problem is I don't even know the definition of an algorithm. No, I know when you said the word algorithm, I knew you didn't know what you were talking about. You saw that on the interwebs at some point. My parents call those SAT words. (laughs) Yeah. Like when you use a big word and you're really not sure you know what you're saying, but it sounds good. Yeah. It's an SAT word. So are you saying that you algorithmed a victory? No, because that's a lie. Yeah. No, we were legitimately voted and won in both those categories. Kudos to us. But more importantly, we want to thank everybody for voting for us. It's a great honor to receive those two awards. So, Oh, it means the absolute world. I... For total disclosure, I had nothing to do with that. That's truly a testament to Spencer, Cassie, Rachel. That's our Grapevine team. They're absolutely amazing. And I just, from my perspective- Keep going. I feel, I'm going to keep going. No, I just feel like the luckiest guy in the world being able to be your partner. And that being voted that way, winning, it's the only thing I've ever won. In my life. So there we go. And and the funny part is, is I got an email from a friend of mine who's a personal injury attorney. And he said, Hey, I nominated you. Please nominate me, which I did. And I did it as he deserved it too. And he actually got top three in personal injury. So congratulations, Allsbrook Law Firm. But 
it was like, I didn't even know about this. Yeah. And it just was like, okay, it's worth a shot. And then we made the finals, like they narrowed it down. You know, we made the cut and from there just spreaded like wildfire. See, your so. reputation has absolutely preceded you. Your reputation, Spencer, is in parts yet to be known to you. Like there are parts of this great land of the state of Texas where people are uttering the words, Spencer Chavis, Spencer. And they're probably saying it in different tones too. Yeah. Not happy ones, happy ones. Yeah. And so. Or who is this guy? I need to look him up. Exactly. And so. I don't so, have an OnlyFans, so you can't go find me there. You don't have an OnlyFans. I don't. I'd have to pay to use an OnlyFans. Usually people get paid for them. I'd probably have to pay. But so to roll into, segue into what we wanted to talk about today. Mike, I know you were given accolades to the local Grapevine office, but you're a part of it because obviously you're licensed in Texas. Oh, yeah. And you've done such an incredible job that you've kind of gotten into a very good market in regards to people reaching out to us about selling or buying into practices, companies, businesses, things of that nature, but a lot of them more so in the medical field. That's right. So what Mike and I would like to talk about today is... What to start prepping for when it comes to either selling your practice or buying into a practice? You know, people always think, oh, I need to get an attorney to do this. Well, yeah, you do, but there's some steps you probably should start taking before that. So we wanted to kind of discuss that with y'all. So that way, if you do ever hit that spot in your mind of, you know, I want to sell my business or I want to buy into a practice, what should you maybe start doing to prep for that. Yeah, I think that's really the point of small businesses, I think, is you create a business and the business is our passion. I mean, as a small business owner, your identity is tied so closely to what you do. I mean, BC Counselors is my life. It's Bets and Chafin, yeah. Counselors at Law. Yeah. It th- really is us. That's like That's is. our name. But it's important also to be thinking about the exit strategy because building a business is important but what is even better than just that and reaping all of the rewards like there's a lot of heartache as a small business owner but there's also these triumphs and because of all that heartache the triumphs like are even more meaningful and that's great and you could stop there but what if you could also figure out a way to sell that business and have what we say sometimes is a liquidation event And so that's really what the idea is, selling your business, selling your practice. And there are certainly things that you should keep in mind as you're wanting to do that. Like what are things that maybe if you're wanting to sell your practice that a a buyer would be interested in? If you are a buyer of a new business, what are the things that you should be thinking about as well as far as the process? What does the process look like? So Spencer, I can tell that you were wanting to check out on this one. So you're going to be the interviewer and just start asking me your questions. What do you need to know? Spencer, you are right now our prospective buyer. Because for the folks who are wanting to sell a business, this will be good. What maybe a buyer is thinking about. And Spencer, why don't we do this? Maybe particularized to an industry because it'll be hard for you to ask the practical Correct, business questions. Yeah. You're wearing the legal hat. So you are a buyer, all the buyers out there. 
you're going to want to work with counsel or some sort of an advisor, but legal counsel is is, is, is needed is, is for sure because there's going to be legal documents. And they're um, the only ones that are able to create them and they're the only ones that are qualified. Qualified to create And them. we're not saying that because we're attorneys. Like it's the law. So you're the seller. I'm asking you. No, I'm the attorney. This oh, is okay, gotcha. Spencer. You're getting some free legal advice. Perfect. And anybody who's eavesdropping on our conversation right now, the idea is you're coming in as a buyer. Like, what are some of your questions? Just fire away. Okay. So one would be is, what do I need to do if I'm buying a business? Do I buy the business? Do I buy the assets of the business? Do I need to create my own business? What's the best way to go about taking over? Yeah. So that's a really good concept. And it applies to sellers too. But I do agree with you, Spencer. Buyers, they're going to be starting that conversation because ultimately the buyer, what are you interested in buying? And if you're a seller, you're going to want to market whatever you're selling in a way that is consistent with your purchasing audience. So there are a couple ways that you can structure a deal fundamentally, okay? One, it is selling the actual ownership interest, the securities, the stock, if it's a corporation. Think of it as LLCs are all over the place, but the clients that we've talked to, they don't ever really have a 100% firm understanding, but everybody seems to understand really a corporation because we know Apple and people have owned Apple stock. So think of stock. It's an LLC. It's not technically stock, but whatever in an LLC is consistent with stock. We call that the membership interest. So you can sell the stock or the equity or ownership interest of the company. That's option one. The other way that you could do it, as Spencer just alluded to, is actually selling the assets itself. So your business is made up of these things. It is the body, which is the LLC or the corporate form. Think of that as the body, if we're using a bad analogy. That's what it is. And then housed within the body is the soul, right? The soul is the goodwill. But the overall body is going to be made up of arms and legs. Think of it like this. If you are, well, we'll say a dentist, a dental office is going to have equipment, hard equipment, like the equipment that when you're sitting in that chair, you see the light in your face. That is an example of the equipment. Now, there's a heart to that, or rather a soul to that, but it's like in a human body, we're made up of these different organs that work in conjunction with our soul, the goodwill, and all of that is wrapped neatly in this little body, the human. So that packages your LLC. The organs that are pumping all working together is like the equipment and the assets, right? Your cash. Well, that's excluded usually. Don't want to confuse it. Think of it like your accounts receivable, maybe your furniture, your fixtures, all of that stuff. Most importantly, your client list. Yeah. And your client list plays into this thing that we call goodwill that you're going to hear about it. And that goodwill is, again that intangible, in my bad analogy, the soul. We can't put our finger on the soul. You can't put your finger on the goodwill. But you know it exists. You know it's there. 
Hey, we're going to take a quick commercial break so that way you can hear from our sponsors, but we'll be right back with more legal info to help you, your family, and your business right here on the BC Counselor's Legal Brief. This episode of the BC Counselor's Legal Brief is brought to you by Alfredo Robledo Certified Public Accountant, PC. Alfredo has been licensed as a Certified Public Accountant since 1984 and is located in Grapevine, Texas. Alfredo can help with many different tax matters ranging from filing individual and business tax returns, trust and estate filings, as well as bookkeeping services for your business. You can contact Alfredo at 817-421-0720 or find him at grapevinecpa.com. and I'm almost a teenager. I have a real problem. My daddy and my grandfather love pie. For my daddy, it's apple. For my poppy, it's anything lemon. But they won't bring me any pie. I don't think that's fair. They always go to Judy Pie on Main Street in Grapevine, where Miss Judy and her bakers make 20 different kinds of pies and cinnamon rolls on the weekend. But I don't get any. They tell me I can have pie when I'm a teenager, like pie is only for grown-ups or something. Can someone please call my daddy and my poppy and tell them I need pie? In the meantime, you can go to JudyPie.com, or if you're in Grapevine, Texas, visit Judy Pie on Main Street. And if my daddy or my poppy are there, tell them that Kaya wants a piece of pie. We're back, and you're listening to the BC Counselor's Legal Brief, the podcast providing legal info to help you, your family, and your business. What are some good tips for the seller to start maybe prepping to come to the attorney? Like, should they go ahead and gather up, you know, maybe get a valuation? Should they be gathering up all their assets? Should they even be like, say they want to slow down and then sell it? What are your thoughts on all those things? So really what's going to drive this, it's your performance. So, and I know this is so obvious, but I'm just going to say it. Don't slow down your operations. I unfortunately had a client like that who was ready to retire and yeah. it just killed the value of his company. And listen, and I get it, but if you walk away, that's completely fine too. So like if that's what you're comfortable with, great. Right. But if you're wanting to cash out, yeah. At the biggest premium you can get. Yeah. Don't just start slowing down. Yeah. My advice is, and this is counterintuitive, you maybe want to sell the business before you are physically ready to give it up. Here's what I mean. If you're like still in your prime. Now, again, it's a continuum. So let's say- and it's personal. It's whatever. Yeah. But let's say in hard numbers, 60 is no longer prime. That is not my opinion. But like I'm easy saying, numbers, round numbers. Easy number, okay? So 60 is like you're out of your prime, right? But you are within your prime between 40 and 60, right? Like meaning you've lost no productivity, like you're not slowing down. You've got the energy to you're keep going. doing yeah. and running the business. Yeah. So I'm saying get closer to whatever that number is in your mind. That 60, don't wait till you're 60 and you've checked out. Do it at like 56, 57. Like what I mean is you might be thinking, I'm loving the business and I'm doing it and I'm busy and I'm enthusiastic about it. 
and I'm making a lot of money and I don't want to give it up. Because again, if somebody is, is making some money in something and somebody approaches you and like, I want to buy that, well, I'm not done with it yet. And so I don't want to sell it. Here's the idea. And this is again, counterintuitive. When you're done with it, you're checking out and it's starting to wane. If you're in an industry where it's, it's solely it, on your shoulders, you're a great part of the goodwill. You know what I mean? You're an important part. Now, if you are Apple, to use my favorite example, with all due respect to the executives of Apple, they are 100% replaceable. You can go into the market and some Ivy League snot will jump into it and will probably be doing things roughly the same way. You know what I mean? Right. Like, in other words, with all due respect to the so-called great, what's his name? Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs. Like, he died. It was a big loss for Apple. But did we see after he died, like, has Apple, like, completely just tanked? Well, I'm actually looking up what happened to the stock on Apple at Steve Jobs' death. And it's saying shares fell about 0.7%. Yeah. What's the market cap for Apple? Because it, it's had the greatest earnings like since he's passed and became oh, the wealthiest. The market capitalization is $2.85 trillion. $2.85 trillion. The first company, I think, ever to be valued at that. So $2.85 trillion. Trillion. What was the market cap at his death? $377.5 billion. Yeah. So my point is, <laughs> this company massively grew. And again, I'm not diminishing him. So here's the concept. If you're a key person, a truly key person, be looking to sell before you've lost the fire. Right. And it's counterintuitive. But if you're a key person, right, and you're planning for your company, what we need to strive for, and it is much easier said than done, You've got to make things reproducible, meaning make it so that the business isn't dependent on you. Sometimes you can't do that. Like as attorneys, in large part, the value of our practice is going to depend on you, Spencer, and me. Even if after Kaylee, we go get 20 more attorneys, you know what I mean? Like we, at a certain size, were capped, but the massive law firms. They've transcended that. With all due respect to your senior partners at a firm, that firm, it doesn't care. Right. So the other thing that I think is important is to be real with yourself. I think the problem, including us, is when you started that company and you own it yourself and you get ready to sell it, you're going to be biased. It's my baby. It's always like, my baby's cuter than your baby. Well, that's subjective. Same thing with buying your business. Some people will say, eh, it's not worth what you think it is. So you've got to be open to understanding it may not be valued at what you think it is. But I think the important thing is, too, maybe finding that out before you put it on the market. And so, Spencer, books, good books clean books, books yeah. that people can understand and that can see like what's going on. Like again, in your sale, 
they're going to want to do what's called due diligence, the buyer. And the buyer is interested not just in your liabilities. We talk a lot about liabilities. We think about liabilities. But they want to know what are your sales? Right. What were your earnings before these different things? We want to see what that performance looked like. And they're going to want to look at your balance sheet. And if it's not put together right, or if there's things that, let's say you're a small business and one of the large companies is wanting to acquire you, that happens a lot. They've got very talented teams of folks valuing businesses. And the fastest thing to get a lower determination from them as to what you're worth is if your books are in disarray. And it's really hard. Like the thing that I see most clients going through is they're having to try to clean up their books because I want to sell and I need to clean up my books. The times I've heard that, not clean up in a bad or nefarious way, but we got to go through these accounting entries and we've got to do this. And so that's why like- It's just like cleaning up your room. You might know where it is on the floor, but if someone's coming in to buy your house and- things are scattered all over the place, they're going to go, oh, I don't like this. I'm going to have to clean it up myself. Well, that's a cost. I may not be able to interpret all this right away. So I'm going to hit you for that and give you a lower offer. So it's all about keeping it to where you can read them and someone else can read them that if they just walk off the street with, you know, knowledge on how to read those things. It's all about the seamless transition. That's right. And so to Spencer's point, Don't drink your own Kool-Aid. Related to that is keeping clean and clear books so you can actually see on paper because what you might have on your mind does not match the paper. And people will be valuing what you've done based off of that. But I want to get to something that you alluded to on, well, knowing what your company's worth. I think there's going to be differences of opinion on this. On one hand, some people are going to think you should get evaluation and know what the company's worth. I think there's a large contingency of folks that say no. Like if you do that, there's a question, do you have to disclose that? If you've got evaluation, it just maybe pigeonholes you. And really, what's the purpose of the valuation? Like, are we wanting to maximize a value for a buyer or are we wanting to minimize the value for an estate planning purpose. So it's at odds. You know, one of the things that I see is folks will get companies valued at a certain point when there is a value, maybe to set a benchmark for a buy-sell. But that happens early and maybe they did it because they didn't trust each other. Most of the time in an operating agreement, we're going to leave it up to the owners to make that determination because the thinking is, well, it's cheaper and it's easier for them to make that determination. And whatever their determination is, isn't really relevant because it's for buy-sell. Right. Like, that's not what the company's worth, maybe if they're going a little bit lower. Or maybe you're in a market where you know what your metric is. And so here's really where I would go on knowing your business is not their value of your business is not so much like go get evaluation, but study and understand how people value your company. Like there are industries that folks know and advisors that work in the industry generally know, well, 
almost all businesses are can be valued in this regard, but it's some multiplier of EBITDA is a key word people will see. That's earnings before interest, taxes, amortization, blah, 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 blah. It's a certain kind of below the line number, but not the bottom, bottom line. And smart people have said, you know what? This is a pretty decent benchmark. And that's that. And so if there's something like that in your industry, try to understand that. Try to learn and see, well, people who are buying businesses. It's weird when you talk to clients, how much more they know about sales that have been going on. Well, this client was aware of, well, this competitor sold to these people for this or whatever. And it's like, well, let's understand that. You generally know who your competitors are, and maybe we can backdoor into it. Or like I said, there are advisors that can help. And you know, brokers get a really bad rap sometimes. Brokers are really incredible resources because the brokers are the ones that sell the businesses all the time. Right. They see what's going on and they take a commission and we want to save our money on the commissions. But oftentimes these brokers, the talented brokers, are right, worth their weight in gold. They are valuable. They're valuable. It's just kind of like attorneys. Yeah. You know, we're valuable. You don't want to have to use us because you think it's something, you know, you're in a bad spot, things of that nature. But a good attorney is going to help you through something that could affect you for years to come. Yeah. No, the brokers are amazing. And I'm just going to do a shout out. He has no idea that I'm saying this, but in the dental world, I work with a stellar guy. I don't think he'd ever be offensive, but I'll just be safe. I'll just say, Josh, if you're listening, Josh, which I know you're not, Josh is a stud. So like in a dental practice, like acquisition, buyer, seller, I would tell, and Josh is with Henry Shine, I'd say, you've got to work with Josh. He knows his stuff because he's done this. And he looks at it from a perspective that as the attorneys, it's kind of outside the deal points. Yeah. But anyway, I know that we didn't cover everything because that's like literally just the basic. We could do a whole day. That's the basic. And then there's all sorts of like allocating prices and this and that and indemnities and all of that. There's those concerns, representations and warranties. Like, what are you saying about the company versus what don't you want to say? How do you want to qualify that? How long does all that live or survive after you've closed? Those are very important functions that are purely legal functions. But from the buyer and seller's perspective, and seller, you know what the buyer's looking at. Buyer, you know that you want to see clean books and that sort of thing, assets that work. And last point is that retention. I do want to mention this. Buyers want to make sure that after the deal's done, they maintain that goodwill, right? Right. So we we hinted at the, if we sold our practice, we'd have to stick around for, be prepared for that. Buyers ask for something like that. Some sort of a transition. You have to. You have to. Some sort of a transition. Sellers just know that after the sale, the work's not just completely over. And that is something that is important. But the more you have built in pieces that are easy to plug in and the books are clean and the processes and procedures are understandable, like from an outsider, that's going to make our sellers have less of an onus because it's going to be an easier transition for the buyers. But I do want people to be aware of that. And they're going to want to 
maybe tie some performance like on the back end and say, well, we'll pay you this much. But if you hit this, if you hit these benchmarks, you get bonuses or things of that nature. Yeah. And so again, it's incentivizing you to everybody's truthful about the business, but build a business that outside of your hands will continue to prosper. Like that's the idea. You can't be too integral. Like being too integral to the process is maybe a downfall of a lot of small business owners. But with that, I'm done, Spencer. Did I, did I answer all your questions? You answered all my questions and then some. But the whole point of this podcast was to get people that are business owners start thinking. You know, don't just wait until you wake up and go, okay, I'm ready to sell today. Baby, that's, let's talk about it. Yeah. That's been said. All right. Well, that's another installment of the BC Counselor's Legal Brief. This was dense, but if you are a small business owner, you have to to re-listen to this. Yeah. Listen to it again and we touch the surface. Call us. Like, if we don't know your industry, we can help you find people that maybe do even. But you gotta start having that conversation. And it ties into your state planning. Like, 100%. Like, it's important. So, okay. Thank you, Spencer, for listening to me. It was a pleasure. See y'all next time. And that brings us to the end of another show. For more information on today's topic or previous show topics, please visit our website at www.bccounselorsatlaw.com. While there, feel free to let us know what future show topics you'd like for us to cover. On behalf of Spencer, this is Mike, and we thank you for listening. And remember, it's always our goal to provide easy-to-understand legal info to help you, your family, and your business here on the BC Counselor's Legal Brief.